What's new, what's new? Welcome back to another music interview. I'm Justin the Floor God. This is the So Who's Up Next podcast, the show where I have curious conversations with my fellow musicians about their music, the process, and their creativity. Jack Downey wears many hats. Despite being busy between five different musical projects, he's found numerous ways to grow his styles and sounds in a way that's almost completely independent from each other. During our talk, I was interested in just how Jack is able to manage his time between these bands and still find time to develop his own personal relationship with music. Let's get into it. Jack Downey, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Where'd you grow up? So I've grown up in Hingham, Massachusetts my entire life. I gotcha. And so what's the music culture like over there? There isn't a lot of music culture at Hingham High, which is, I started making music in high school. So like there aren't a lot of like serious musicians there. There's a few, but a lot of musicians are either orchestral or in like the wind ensemble or someone like that, like a school band, or they're like, you know, like acoustic guitar players. Like that's, it's just kind of a hobby. The closest thing I'd say that Hingham has to a music scene is this place called the South Shore Conservatory, which is pretty much like this music organization where people pay money and then they get like music coaches, they get put into a band and gigs at certain places. They get studio time at really good studios. That's kind of the epicenter of music in Hingham, unless it's like hands outside of that, but that's like the most concrete culture of music, I'd say. Gotcha. I like that. So what got you into music? So when I was really young, I was a big fan of the song Clocks by Coldplay. Okay. Uh, it was the only thing that would calm me down as a baby. I don't know why I liked it so much. It just made me feel good. Yeah. And then I kind of drifted away from it for a bit. But then when I was in like fifth or sixth grade, my dad called me down because he had been channel surfing and he came across Coldplay playing clocks at Glastonbury. I sat down with him and we watched it and then we watched him play two other songs. And then when I went upstairs, I was just coming up with like rhyming sentences in my head. And I'm like, oh, this is something that I want to do. I kept doing it for about a year and I decided that I want to play guitar so I could flesh out my ideas bit more thoroughly. So when my parents realized that I was actually serious about this, they bought me my first guitar, which was this tiny acoustic guitar. I kept playing that. And then I progressed to electric guitar. I just kept going from there. just kept making music, evolving my tastes. And it's been something that's been part of my life ever since. I like it. And you're a multi-instrumentalist as well, right? I've moved on to bass, which wasn't a, a huge transition. I just, I started playing bass because there weren't a lot of bass players that I knew at the time. So I was like, all right, if I'm going to get bass on any of my recordings, I should do it. So I kind of taught myself how to play drums and I sing. And so now you're in not one, not two, but according to my check, and feel free to correct me, you're in five different bands, including your solo project? Yeah, pretty much. That's crazy. So tell me a little bit about that. Like, what was the first one you started? Well, the first band that was like a band band, not like a solo project, was Friday Life, which started out as a solo project. But then I'd been trying to form another band at the time, and that wasn't going well at all. I had this friend at school, Joey. He had a band called the Toxic 70s, and he asked if Friday Life wanted to open for him at a show. I was like, I don't have any band members. And I was like, wait, maybe I could, maybe I could borrow some of yours and he was down for that and then that gave me the idea to like look outside of Hingham and that's how I formed the first iteration of Friday Life in like May of 2017 and then we played our first show in June of that year just like three songs at this outdoor thing but that was the first show I'd ever played with like a full band and it was pretty crazy the lineup evolved a little bit I'm the only consistent member though the lineup we have now has been together for a little over two years 
Yeah. And so on consistent band members, you also have another band called Sun Mask with your brother. What's that dynamic like making music with a family member compared to something like Friday Life where you're making music with friends? My brother and I would always carpool to gigs because my brother's three years younger than me. So until recently, he couldn't drive. So I'd have to drive him to shows and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. We would go down together and it was always so much fun. And then I was kind of thinking, I'm like, what if we could just do something that's the two of us? Because I just feel like that'd be really tight. We originally started this like two piece punk band called Luigi Board, kind of like a goof punk thing. It was kind of in the style of Blink-182, but not really. We ended up playing one show at like this rec center in Plymouth, Mass in 2019. And uh, no one really liked us that much. <laughs> I oh, think no. we were just playing to the wrong crowd, I think, because like the, open, the, the headlining band was like a jam band mm. and we were a punk band. And we had a drum machine for percussion. Oh. And I, I just, it didn't really go down the way I wanted it to. Also, we were really unprepared. We just got back from like a trip and we were really jet lagged. So that didn't help. Oh, wow. I was like, I maybe we should change this up. And then I'd been watching something about like the Jesus and Mary chain and Beach Fossils. And now they have, they have like a standing drummer. So I was like, oh, that's actually really cool. Because like my brother couldn't play drums. Mm -hmm. If he could do something like standing drums, man, that's just two drums. It'd be much easier. So I proposed the idea to him and he was, he was really cool with it. So... We tried that out a little bit. It didn't really work out. But then over the course of this year, because of the pandemic, we've been at home a lot. I was like, all right, I want to jam. So we, we tried it out again. And this time we kind of hit our stride a little bit with that idea. And mm. that's kind of how Sun, Sun Mask came around. That's pretty cool. And so being at home, you probably also have a lot more time working on your solo project, Wave Goodbye, right? I wish I put out more over the course of this year. I've written a lot. It, I've just, it hasn't all come to fruition yet because I'm still learning a lot about mixing and mastering and I'm very picky. Mm -hmm. So it's taken a bit, but I put out some stuff and it's definitely given me more time to like write lyrics and flesh out ideas. I was always rushing around and playing shows before that. So I really didn't have the time to and it's helped me write songs for Friday Life and Sun Mask as well. It's really given me the time to like sit down and write and record riffs, which normally I wouldn't really have the time to do. Like that was the big problem with Friday Life. We played the same set list because we just never were really able to meet and make new things. Mm -hmm. So this was good because we now have a couple of new songs that we've worked on. So it's given us time to work on things. Nice. Rarely I interview like bands, but I mostly do individual artists. And so to talk to someone like you who's involved in so many different projects, how do you know what song goes to which project? Two of the bands that I'm in, one being Intertitle, which I play bass for down in Rhode Island, and another one vertigo which i joined recently and i play drums in that project i don't really write the songs for that group i sometimes try to but it's mostly like the singers of that band like the leaders of that band but for friday life and sun mask if the song is cool and it kind of has that jangly quality and it works well with like a delay effect or something like a chorus effect and normally i'm like all right this could be a good friday life song if it's more chord based like it's just like a driving song with chords i tend to make that a wave goodbye song mm -hmm. and if it's like a slower larger song and the scope of a sound like Sun Mask, the chords, there's not a lot of chords. They're normally really stretched out and the drums kind of fill in the blanks at points. So that's kind of how Sun Mask songs are written. And those songs, we normally write on the spot, my brother and I. Like, I don't come up with a riff and I'm like, hey, check this out. It's sometimes I do, but most of the time we just go into our garage and we kind of just mess around. And then we'll like stumble across something and we're like, oh, hey, that's really cool. Let's record a voice memo of that so we can develop it later. So that's kind of how that works. Friday Life is more of like, I come up with a riff idea and then I bring it to the guys and I'm just like, hey, check this out. And then we build off of it. When you're introducing yourself as a musician, what do you categorize your own music as? You say like, hi, I'm Jack Downey. I make blank type of music. 
Like what's your go-to starter music for people wanting to get into your music? A lot of them can be classified as indie rock. Like the bands that I write the songs for kind of all fit into the indie rock category in one way or another, like some more than others, but I would say indie rock, like I make indie music or something like that. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree a hundred percent. If you can categorize, even if it is loosely for some of them, the music you make across all your different projects under the indie rock umbrella, why not kind of conglomerate that sound into like one band and really just push one name out there? I mean, someday, depending on how music shapes out for me in the future, I might end up having to do that just to save time and you know, save money because I don't know what things are going to look like once I graduate. Mm -hmm. So I might just have to consolidate all my time into one band. But right now I'm just trying to explore all the avenues I can. I think the reason for that is just because I feel like I've come to love so many different types of music and my tastes are always changing. There are times where in a band like Friday Life, I've thought of making louder, noisier songs in the vein of Sun Mask, but I want to keep things separate so that I can develop both ideas more clearly, like they can go in different directions. Like Friday Life, I kind of want to go in more of like a post-punkier, like new wave direction. Or a Sun Mask, I really don't see going in a direction like that. I could see Sun Mask going in more of like a noise core or like a slow core, psychedelic rock direction, something, something like that. But I can't really see Friday Life doing that. So it kind of helps me explore various genres of music rather than if I was in one band. I feel like that even if I combine those two sounds, it would kind of be more restrictive in some ways. You just mentioned graduation. What are you studying? Right now I'm studying music technology and production at Providence College. I'm also thinking of getting a minor in marketing. I might do a double major, but I still have to figure out a major that would work with a music major that I'd actually be interested in. And you're a sophomore, right? That's right. You're still kind of early in the game, approaching the halfway point here, but do you think that music school should be a necessity for people wanting to take their sound to the next level? Or do you think that what you're learning is kind of like just a bunch of truths that regular, everyday, non-academic people could just stumble upon messing around in like garage band or something like that? That's a good question. I put down the music major and at the time, the music technology and production major didn't exist. So I just put music just to fill in the blank, I guess, at that time. And mm -hmm. I really didn't want to do it after a while. I felt like the idea of learning theory and other tenets of music would stifle my creativity and make me overthink things. When in reality, I have a fairly good ear for things like that. Like my songs, looking back, mostly make theoretical sense. Mm -hmm. But what this class has helped me do is it's helped me visualize things like that a little better. I'll write a chord progression and then I'll be like, all right, what chord could go here? And then I think of like scales and theory and stuff like that. And it does actually help piece things together. And then maybe I can deviate from the norm a little bit, but at least I know I'm deviating from the norm. It's definitely helped me shape up on some of the basics. A lot of people have said that they don't need music theory or anything like that. And I mean, maybe you don't, but I think, especially in music technology and production, I think it definitely helps to know things like that for beats. Like you can make really cool sounding beats with like different types of jazz chords, like seventh chords, you know, sus nine chords, stuff like that. I think coming up with those chords without a sort of like blueprint is going to be harder. And people have argued that like this is stuff you can learn on the internet. But the thing is, with the internet, the only person who's really coaching you and teaching you is yourself. Mm -hmm. Whereas in college, if you're spending the time in a class learning these things, People are actually pushing you to learn these ideas about music. You end up learning it a lot faster and a lot more effectively. It's better and it will make music making for people more secure as they have a more concrete idea of what they're doing. That makes complete sense to me. If you do want to, I don't want to say like fast track your music career, but if you want to learn at a steady pace, 
and come out the other side definitely better. That sounds like a good idea for anyone. But another way that musicians grow is by playing shows. Earlier you mentioned that your first show was... It was just like a small outdoor show in a neighboring town. Gotcha. I know in Massachusetts, at least, there's another venue, the C-Note, that's going out of business or something like that. And I know that it's responsible for not necessarily breaking artists, but for providing musicians with a platform on the local scale. So can you tell me a little bit about the C-Note? Yeah, certainly. The C-Note was almost like a second home to me. I first played there in the beginning of my junior year because I had managed to get in touch with a booker and he, he put us on like this youth show, this youth festival that they had. Mm-hmm. That was like our first big gig. That was Friday Live's first big show and my first big show in general. Right on the water. It's right on this popular beach called Nantasca Beach in Hull, Massachusetts. It's right there on the water. And I remember we'd park at the beach when we went and I'd look at it. And I'm like, wow, it's like an actual like music club. Like it's dedicated to music. Mm-hmm. And I always thought it'd be really exclusive. And then I got in and it was insane. I was so incredibly excited. Over time, it just became like the go-to place to play. They were incredibly accommodating for young artists, which in Massachusetts, not a lot of venues are super upfront with that. And even if they are, sometimes it's really hard to book with them. Whereas at the Ceno, it was actually pretty easy. They had a lot of people who were very open to help you get shows. It gave a lot of bands their start. A lot of bands, their first gig was at the Ceno. When I heard that it was shutting down in July, it was shattering. It was it was heartbreaking to hear because it had been placed to be, even if you weren't playing in my life for almost three years at that point. So I think that they're trying to bring it back. The GoFundMe that they put up has raised a lot of money. Even if the original people don't buy it back, I really think someone else will. And I think they'll restore it as a venue because the Sino was a very popular place. So I think even from an economic standpoint, it would make sense to bring it back. Mm-hmm. And I hope they do. Even if they don't, it was a fantastic place. And I made a lot of my best memories there. And I made a lot of good friends there. So it will be missed if it doesn't come back. Just to perform at a venue like that, something that just sounds super, super cool. I know that another cool part about just experiencing music isn't just playing it on stage, but also watching people that you adore as well. And one of those artists that you've actually met was Mac DeMarco, right? Yeah, that's right. So how big of an influence does Mac's music have on your own music? Mac DeMarco was definitely a huge influence in the beginning of Friday Life. When Friday Life started, it was kind of more of a mellow, chill, like vibey project. And I was pretty much just ripping off Mac DeMarco. I was okay. pretty much the gist of it. But then I kind of moved towards more fast paced music because I just have a lot of energy. I was like, if I'm going to play this live, I need to have music where I can jump around mm-hmm. and just run around and get people going. Mac can do that too. I've seen videos of Mac stage diving, which um, is pretty crazy. Uh, he didn't do that at the show that I went to of his, but the summer of 2019, he was playing a show in Plymouth uh, as part of this organization called the Trustees. They have a bunch of reservations and parks and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. they organized a show. It was, it was a, a concert along with a light show. And my mom sent me the link one time when I was at work and I was like, okay, it was like $25, which is insane for a Mac DeMarco concert. And I was like, this is the opportunity that I've been waiting for. Yeah. So it was me, it was my brother and it was, my, it was our friend Bobby. And we drove down to Plymouth after I got out of work. It was just like this like small stage in the middle of like this hay field. It was insane. The weather was amazing. It was just, even if Mac wasn't performing, it was just a fantastic time. But I saw Mac backstage. The only thing dividing the backstage from the front of the stage was a rope. Hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, I could literally just step over this rope and be back to market. <laughs> I didn't want to do that. I was like, oh man, I could get caught. Like, I don't want to bother him if he's talking to someone. And then this woman's like, oh, you just go into the rope. And she went into the rope. So I'm like, all right, well, you know, someone did it, so. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not as guilty anymore. So I stepped over it. I walked over. I waited till he finished talking. He was talking to like six people, including his girlfriend. Uh-huh. I like was just waiting behind him. I have never been that nervous to talk to someone before. It was crazy. And wow. um, I was just like, uh, excuse me. And then he turns around. I'm like, 
hi, uh, I'm Jack. I'm a really big fan of yours. And he was like, oh, hey, yeah, that's cool, dude. It was, it was wild. Like this guy was just standing in front of me. And so I ended up getting a picture with him, which I then, of course, posted to flex on people. And as you do. Yeah, but it was a really good show. It was just him with an acoustic guitar, but it was a blast. He chugged like 10 alcoholic ciders during the course of the thing. He played some fan favorites. He played Ode the Viceroy. And we had to sing the high pitched guitar part because he couldn't do that on an acoustic guitar. <laughs> nice. So it's pretty funny. I would say the night was a success overall. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a good time. And real quick, what's your favorite Mac song? There's always the classics like Ode to Viceroy mm. and uh, Pass. I really love Passing Out Pieces, but I got to say either No Other Heart or On the Level are probably my favorites. I I don't listen to too much Mac anymore, so I'm kind of like, I like more of his older stuff. Like I remember the whole Salad Days project was super nice. I don't want to sound basic, but Ode to Viceroy is probably up there for me for sure yeah no it's definitely a top five i love that song it's like it's slow but it's an anthem in its weird own way you know yeah for sure and rock and roll nightclub his debut album is also criminally underrated he's just a good artist like he's got a good vibe are there any like weird stories uh you've had while trying to make music there's just too many moments where someone forgets something and it's such a big moment of stress like we played a show at the cno actually in june of 2019 there was a show in january of that year called finagle that bagel that was put on by a person from the scene named darcy and it was put on at the cno it had friday life as well as the fringe a bit oh, now they're called La fringe due to copyright problems but uh <laughs> i played bass for them for a while nice that was actually my last show with them then there was this band not today they're kind of like titans of the scene they ended up playing this really big festival called levitate that same summer a band called toast they're pretty big heavyweights as well and then this band called mike which is just like a jam band side project thing they ended up going last that night but friday life went first and it was massive i think that's the biggest crowd we've ever played to the most exciting crowd we've ever played to probably my favorite show i've been a part of it was crazy we all show up and the problem is instead of being put first this time we're last which would be fine but the way the bands were ordered it was like this band that was like mainly acoustic went before us and they pretty much everyone went home during their set because it was mm. late so we played two people i think and um it was like midnight when we finished and all of us were really kind of angry because we felt like we just wasted our time it was just people were tired and i you know they've seen us before and like i said our set list never really changed all that much Mm. But the two people in the crowd really liked her set. So there's that. But I ended up misplacing my car keys. Instead of forgetting something on the way to the gig, we ended up forgetting something at the gig. So I'm like, all right, where are my car keys? So we're looking around the club. I can't find them. Well, it starts getting really serious because I still can't find them. It's been like 30 minutes, no sign of my keys. So I'm like, great, someone might have taken them. Nice. And now I'm stranded at this club, uh -huh. which while not incredibly far from my house, a walk would probably be like an hour. Yeah, it's the middle of the night. There's like people roaming around that don't necessarily seem like they're benevolent. So that was unsettling. And it was just getting really awkward. The The sound guy was helping us look. I felt really bad for him because it was like 1230 at this point. I'm sure he just wanted to go home. Yeah. Uh, the bartender was also helping us. I don't know her name. She was really cool. And so I ended up asking a friend of mine, I'm like, hey, can you please come pick us up and then drive us home? I'll get a spare key. We'll come back. I'll get my car. I'm sorry, but he was awake. He's like, oh yeah, sure. Right as he confirms this, I find the keys. They were behind a speaker on stage. They were behind a monitor. Nice. And they were like in the shadows. And then of course, like everyone's like ripping into me. They're like, dude, they're on stage the whole time. Like, how did you not know that? <laughs> it was like, we've been here for 40 extra minutes. It's really late. And I had to text this kid to make sure he didn't come pick us up. I caught him right as he was getting into his car. So that was really good because wow. he doesn't live too close to the club either. So we found the keys and then we drove back and then we passed a bunch of coyotes on the way home. So if we tried to walk, we probably would have gotten eaten. So <laughs> that whole night was just a mess, but it's kind of something that we look back and like joke about now. So I guess overall it was, it worked out. Music is such a big part of your life between all the projects and all the people you've met. 
perform for all these things. But what do you think you'd be doing right now if you had never gotten into music? I've been taking pictures of bands and stuff for free for a while, and it's kind of helped me make a name for myself. So gotten to a point where people are willing to pay me for my work, which mm. is really great. So there's definitely that. I started doing that for the school paper at Providence College as well, the Cowell. So that's really cool. I applied this year and because of my photography account on Instagram, they actually were like, hey, you're good. We're going to take you in, which was awesome. I have a radio station or a radio show at, on the Providence College Radio. It's called the Tune Raider Show because that's also the name of my booking quote unquote company. It's just me. It's what I book shows through at different clubs just because I love concerts in general, like not just playing them. I just love concerts as a whole. I think they're amazing. So mm -hmm. I try to set them up as well, even if I'm not playing in them. It's great because it gets you a lot of connections in the scene as well. And it's made me some friends and it's fun. But yeah, I also have this radio show, which was supposed to start this past semester. But because of the pandemic, it didn't because they tried to have the show be remote instead of like through a booth. Mm -hmm. That just lent itself to so many technical difficulties that they ended up just scrapping it until next semester. So we'll see what happens when I go back to school, but I don't know what's going to happen. Those are like things that I do outside of like playing music, at least. Very interesting to hear, you know, what you think you'd be up to aside from music, if I guess you never had music. But another thing that I was just really curious about is your potential to go into the dairy business. In your Instagram bio, you say that you're the inventor of the ice cream on a biscuit. So I'm just, what is that? Like, how'd that come about? In the beginning of my freshman year of college, I'm at the dining hall and they have a soft serve ice cream machine and they just have various food stations and they had like ingredients for strawberry shortcake. And one of the ingredients that they had was like biscuits. So you could put like the strawberries on them and the whipped cream and stuff like that. It was, those are actually pretty good. They have very good desserts. So one day I was, I picked up the biscuits and I was like, wait a minute, what if I add ice cream to this? So I went over to the ice cream machine and I put a bunch of vanilla soft serve on it. Mm. I can't lie. It was actually really good. It was like the kind of like saltiness and like the chewy texture of the biscuit mm. actually works surprisingly well with like a creamy, like meltiness of the vanilla ice cream and they taste great together. And so I was like, I'm a culinary god. So <laughs> <laughs> I put that in my bio. And I also went on to invent the ice cream on a waffle, which uh, was harder to pull off because the waffle machine it was like, you know, you pour the batter into a cup, you pour the cup into like a waffle maker. Mm -hmm. So you can make your own waffles. But the thing is, the waffle machine is on at a different time from the ice cream machine. So sometimes they'll be on at the same time. And so one day I found out that they were both on. So I was like, oh my gosh, I need to do this. Yeah. And I did. And it was crazy. I think I added like maple syrup and like chocolate syrup to it. It was wow, awesome. It was great. I mean, as a man of the culinary culture, I think it's your responsibility to, you know, expand on the ice cream on a biscuit in every way imaginable. So I think you're doing a good job. Right. You're doing good work out here, man. <laughs> but yeah, the last thing I wanted to get to was um, for anyone wanting to get into music or maybe they've just started music and want to take it to the next level, what would you say to them? So the first thing I would say is don't immediately think that you need to have a band. Like when I started making music, I, I really didn't even look for other musicians because like I said at Hingham, I didn't really know a lot of musicians. So what I did is I just ended up making music by myself. My first ever project was called Above Suburbia and I started that in my freshman year of high school. I just recorded my guitar, I recorded my vocals, and I used a drum machine on a keyboard that my brother has and that would be the drums. I don't even think I had bass. So, you know, it's not like normal music, but the thing is, is like, at least you're making something. So if you can't find band members immediately, I wouldn't give up hope and just go like, ah, oh, I can't make music. You can get some interfaces for really cheap like my interface that I'm actually using right now for this podcast is a Scarlett 2i2. I think I got it 
for like, I don't know, $120. Mm-hmm. And then I got Ableton Live Lite for free with it. And that's the software I've been using since. And then you can just do everything on your own. If you have ideas, you know, don't let a lack of bandmates bring you down. But then I would say, if you do have a band, I would say you got to be somewhat flexible because you might have a very concrete idea for what you want a band to be. And the other people you're in a band with might have different ideas of what they want. So if the ideas are too disparate, I would say maybe don't be in a band with those people. Like don't settle, obviously. But Mm -hmm. if these people, you really like jamming with them and stuff and you can find a common ground, I would suggest doing that because you can find music that you didn't even know you liked. And the thing is, Good music is good music. Even if it's not in your wheelhouse, I think people can recognize when music is good, no matter the genre. I'd say it also helps to have as wide a musical palette as possible so that you make yourself more readily available to bands if they're looking for people or if other musicians are looking to join a band. It helps you fit in better, I'd say. I could go from listening to like dream pop on my way to work and I'm on my way back. I'll be listening to Fugazi or something like that. Mm -hmm. Experiment with all sorts of different genres. That's another reason why I just have so many bands is just because like I don't want to leave any stones unturned. And also it builds a name for you because maybe people, if they're looking for a bandmate, might not be impressed with some of your bands. Like it might not be what they like, but then they see you're in another band that is, and then it gives you more of an opportunity. It's the same thing with like double majoring. Like you have a major in two different categories it just it opens more doors because you appeal to more industries or in the case of music like bands this has been the jack downey interview on the so who's up next podcast if you like what you hear be sure to check out any one of jack's projects wave goodbye sun mask friday life all on soundcloud and be sure to follow our show wherever you go i got a lot more coming your way very soon so be sure to stay tuned i'll catch you in the next one